Recorded live. Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, April 8th, 2011. Episode 204 comes to you today from Studio C in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania, where it's a cool and rainy day. My name is Cliff Zlotnick, or the Z-Man, and Radio Joe Hughes will be participating today remotely from the IAQ Training Institute offices in Central City, PA. At the controls is our engineer, Austin Stone Cold Novak. Today's segments include the IAQ Radio trivia question, an interview with today's guest, Sam Bergman, uh, who's CEO of Rollin Companies, halftime, and the roundup. We've been updating the website, and I add a blog to the IQ Radio Show website after each show. Check it out at www.iqradio.com. Now we'd like to thank our sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. To contact the show by phone, call 724-444-7444 and enter our show ID, which is 1547. You can also listen live or download the show by going to our website, www.iqradio.com, and following the link that says go to the show, and the show is available from iTunes. Don't forget, you can get your American Board of Industrial Hygiene Certification Maintenance Points, IICRC, Continuing Education Credits, or American Council for Accredited Certification Renewal Credits by emailing Radio Joe and requesting the quiz. Joe's email address is joe.use at iaqtraining.com. Our email addresses are also on the homepage of iqradio.com. Last but not least, please visit the IEQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com.
win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, text your answer. Congratulations. To Andy Krasowski, Comcast Metal Products, for edging out other listeners and being the first person to correctly identify William Edwards Deming as the American business consultant best known for his consulting work in Japan. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, April 8th, 2011, has been sponsored by Cochran & Associates, the indoor air quality industry's dedicated marketing and public relations firm. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the partially constructed steel high-rise building which caught fire in August 2007 and defied all known physics when it didn't collapse. Our guest today is Samuel J. Bergman. He is the chief executive officer of the Rolland Companies, a firm that for over 30 years has assisted thousands of property owners and managers through major disasters, everyday emergencies, and reconstruction, providing a full range of disaster recovery and specialty construction services to businesses, institutions, and facilities of all types. Mr. Bergman's a licensed building contractor in 39 states and the District of Columbia. He's an expert in estimating restoration and repair cost estimates for property damage and is a FEMA certified consultant. He has served as an expert witness, appraiser, and umpire in many court cases related to property damage. He is a recipient of the RIA Phoenix Award for Innovation and Restoration in both 2005 and again in 2009. He currently serves as first president, first vice president on the board of Restoration Industry Association. Rollin is a world leader in the field of disaster recovery and restoration. We're delighted to have Sam Bergman here today. Here's your intro. Good afternoon, Sam, and thanks for joining us on IEQ Radio. Good afternoon, Cliff. Good afternoon, Joe, and it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, thank you very much for joining us. Well, you're, you are a person that's restored thousands of buildings and properties following all different types of disasters. Uh, many disaster restoration firms provide emergency response services. Uh, how is Roland a little different? Well, we offer a complete menu of services, not only to go in and do the initial uh, mitigation of damages, but then on to the remediation as well as the reconstruction, and then in many instances, even uh, change orders of capital improvements. So we want to offer our clients turnkey service and the full menu and let them decide which portions of the menu they would like to order. You know, I think it's a little different. I think a lot of other restoration companies get in, get out. They do all the lucrative emergency work. And, uh, you know, I think it's pretty neat that your custom, cust, or company sticks it out and then does uh, restoration work 
uh, you know, for a long time afterward. Okay, Joe. Uh, did you want to add something there, sir? Well, uh, absolutely. What, what we found over the years is, uh, and especially in the downturn of the economy, that many of the commercial and institutional clients have reduced their staff that would oversee or manage a construction project. So they're looking for the contractor, the first responding contractor who's doing the uh, mitigation of damages to uh, give you an opportunity to take this job through the entire life of the reconstruction and then therefore certainly gives us other opportunities that they call us on and not just when a insurance peril causes damages. So we look at offering the full menu as a great marketing tool for other opportunities. You know, so another we, oppor- go ahead, Jim. Another opportunity I know you've gotten into is, is in working in hospitals and in helping hospitals with infection control, and, and I'm, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. What type of um, hospital-acquired infection control projects have you have you been working on? Are they the standard, you know, disaster restoration? And while you're doing that, you've got to, you know, also make sure that you don't cause a problem, or are you also going in and when there is a problem from some other reason, cleaning up? Our, our first... Uh intro into the uh, hospital setting was uh, 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, when a uh, 100-year flood hit Washington, uh, the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. And uh, we were initially brought in as a uh, consultant just to do uh, estimating and consulting services. And within a rather short period of time, they asked us to take over the uh, emergency operations. Um, Once we did, uh, we then found out that the uh, at the time it was called JACO, but now called the Joint Commission, was going to be doing an inspection on one of these properties. And uh, we made sure that we uh, got the expertise that we needed, the, the our due diligence. And even though these hospitals suffered major, major flooding damage uh, due to the procedures that we followed upon this uh, three-day inspection by the uh, Joint Commission, this uh, hospital received one of its highest uh, building scores, uh, ratings that it could receive from the Joint Commission, and that was due to all the protocols being followed. Uh, Since then, we have not left the hospital arena. And to to, to further answer your question, Joe, uh, we do multiple aspects uh, within the healthcare uh, to prevent uh, hospital-acquired conditions. First is, of course, if there is an emergency, we will respond uh, for emergency situations uh, for hospitals. But even for everyday scheduled construction work, there is an infection control risk assessment uh, component, which is uh, best practices for healthcare industries. And we get involved with uh, scores of projects every single month for pre-planned construction projects where another general contractor will be doing the work, but we perform the infection control uh, services on behalf of the hospital on those projects. And lastly, uh, on a day-to-day basis, when they are doing minor renovations or mold or other conditions are found in the hospital, they will call us in to uh, remediate those conditions. And lastly, when they have a, a high-risk patient that leaves a room that could, ha- could have had a C. diff or tuberculosis or a variety of other conditions, they will call us in to do the uh, 
the cleanup of those areas. I guess so it sounds like. Go ahead, Cliff. Uh, you know, it, it seems that every time, you know, no one likes to go to the hospital, but it seems every time I go to the hospital, they're under construction. You know, they're always renovating and fixing things, and, you know, they're always putting up uh, these drywall containment barriers uh, or they put up plywood containment barriers. Do you get involved w with that as well? You know, when another company might be doing a large-scale renovation, you do the containment and all that other stuff? Um, we do, and again, we, we offer a, a menu of services. Some healthcare facilities ask us to come in when they're uh, initially designing that expansion or that uh, remodel, and uh, we're involved with their design team and designing the infection control measures uh, right into the architectural plans and into the uh, manuals and documents of the construction project. And uh, then they, at times, will actually have us build the containment, and other times they will have us maintain the infection control containment and areas during the entire construction project. There is a, uh, a matrix that you, uh, you complete beforehand, and you coordinate your matrix with the uh, infection control practitioner, the risk manager, the department heads, the charge nurses, and the construction manager. Um, and you need to coordinate all these activities, and the matrix makes you look at uh, a couple different aspects, but mainly the type of work that you'll be doing. Uh, are, is there going to be sanding involved? Are you doing complete demolition? Uh, what type of VOCs? What type of dust are you going to be, uh, will be stirred when doing this work? And then you have to look at the type of occupancy. Is this going to be in a area where it's a doctor's office, or is this going to be in an operating room, or is this going to be in a uh, cancer uh, recovery area? And based upon those different types of matrix, so type of occupancy and type of work being performed, there is then a uh, classification of what type of infection control needs to be in place during that project. Sam, whose matrix are you using? Is it one of your own, or is it from the Joint Commission? There, there have been um, – most forms are, are standard at this point. There was a hospital in the name I don't recall off the top of my head that had uh, published a form, and that seems to be used at a wide variety of the hospitals across the country. We, were, we have uh, agreements with uh, well over – in hundreds of hospitals around the United States that we uh, respond to. Uh, most of them use that form or form very similar – there are a couple hospitals that have developed their own forms, but they're all, generally speaking, serve the same objectives. You know, that leads me to another question. I've, I've done a little work with some hospitals, and it seems like there's a, a pretty wide variation in, in what they require based on the, the hospital that you're at. Do you find the same thing, or is it getting more standardized over time? Um, we, we have found that it's becoming more standardized and that hospitals are becoming uh, more aware of this. Um, the CDC recently said that uh, more than 99,000 people die each year from uh, hospital-inquired infections and that the cost of human life and the financial toll is, is staggering and that the, the Center for Disease and Prevention also estimated that the hospital-inquired infections cost 35 to $45 billion a year uh, to the U.S. healthcare system. 
Um, and with the possibility of uh, litigation and uh, as much as this has been in the news, we're starting to find uh, hospitals, at least the hospitals that we're involved in, are certainly taking it uh, very, very seriously. Um, but I've also walked into other hospitals, as you just indicated, that uh, certainly does not take it uh, to the level. But I think eventually all hospitals will be there. Cliff? Uh, Joe, anything else you want to ask on this subject? Oh, absolutely. Let me let me go then. All right. Um, what about any special training or medical evaluations or equipment? Well, let's start with training or medical evaluations for your employees that do this type of work, Sam, for the hospital. Yeah, um, all of our employees go through uh, the the blood bloodborne pathogen uh, training. We have our own uh, compliance and uh, safety personnel uh, to make sure that we're following all the. Uh, the proper standards ourselves. Um, we go to quite a bit of uh, training through the IAHSS, which is Hospital Safety and Security, APEC, APIC, the Infection Control Practitioners uh, um, Association. Um, we are required by some of our hospitals that anyone before they can go in and work, we have to have uh, flu shots, we have to have uh, TB tests, and of course, as part of our background check, uh, we also make sure that we have a drug-free workplace environment. Do they ever have to get a MRSA test? Uh, Methicil- the- MRSA, methicillin resistant staff. You were great about do- not doing the acronyms, and then I fell right into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, there is a uh, – I'm not aware of any time that we've had, had anyone uh, tested. We've certainly been called into facilities to do cleanups after a, a MRSA outbreak, and we have uh, memorandums of understanding in place with hospital systems to uh, respond, but not a specific test of our employees from MRSA that I'm aware of. Okay. We had a guest on a while back, it's been a few years, who I, I guess she suggested that uh, some employees could be carriers without actually you know, coming down with full-blown MRSA and that, that maybe they should be tested for that. I don't, I don't think it was any kind of requirement. I was just curious if you'd run into that. The other question I had on the on the hospital settings, and I've got two more, but let's start with this one. What, what type of specialty equipment? I mean, you do disaster restoration. A lot of our listeners do disaster restoration. Do they already have a lot of the equipment they would need to get into this field, or is there additional specialty equipment they would need? Well, I would I would think that uh, most restoration contractors probably already have 80% of the equipment that they need. We pride ourselves. We actually segregate out our uh, health care uh, uh, products, and uh, so when we buy a uh, a, and I'll give a little plug for one of your sponsors, uh, but when we buy uh, a shipment of uh, HEPA air scrubbers or negative air machines from John Don, uh, they will come in and first be used at hospitals. They are stored in a separate location and uh, maintained for hospital use. And then uh, after either certain instances or a length of time, we'll then bring them into water and mold, and then we'll bring them into our, our fire division. Um, you need to make sure that your products that you're bringing into a hospital are, for example, you just don't bring in six mil poly, but you're bringing in uh, fire-resistant uh, poly. If you're building containment, make sure you're building it out of fire-resistant materials and you're not bringing in a regular two-by-four referring strip to uh, build your containment at. And then we use some uh, very, very specific products, uh, such as the uh, Sterimus system, 
um, offered by Tomi to deal with um, bacteria, molds, and viruses in a healthcare setting. What? What? Uh, I'm not that familiar with the Steramis system. Can you describe a little bit more what that is? Is it a distribution system for some type of disinfectant, or is it a different system? Sure, it, it is. Uh, it, it, it is a complete system. So that is, it, it is equipment. Um, that and there's two different types of uh, pieces of equipment that it offers, but it's a piece of equipment with a solution and then a delivery method. And what you what you end up doing is activating a seven and a half percent hydrogen peroxide, and it's being activated with a with seventeen thousand volts of electricity as it comes out of the end of the gun or out of the uh, out of the port if you're using the non-portable system and it creates a reactive oxygen uh, species and the uh, efficacy uh, testing of this has uh, shown that you're killing uh, molds uh, um, and spores uh, within seconds of contact uh, and in most cases uh, getting a six log or greater kill uh, very 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 quickly and uh, you know reading from their from their manual manual uh, one properly used the system kills all known pathogens, including bacteria, bacterial spores, viruses, molds, and fungi, quickly and efficiently. So we actually have thousands of liters of the solution, plus five or six machines in our facility, ready ready to respond when called by one of our healthcare systems that we have the agreement and understandings with. So. You, you mentioned molds. I'm sure you're also after bacteria, et cetera. Can you talk to our listeners for a moment about, in your experience, what hospital-acquired infections, whether they're bacteria, fungal, et cetera, hospitals seem to be most concerned about today? Um, they're concerned about all of them because it's, it's now apparently, and I'm not – a healthcare insurance expert, but what they've been telling me is that if a uh, patient that goes in for a surgery or for a type of treatment comes down with an infection and requires additional medical care because of that infection, that additional medical care is not being funded uh, by the insurance company and they are responsible to pay for it uh, by itself, by themselves. So, the, I mean, but the things that I keep on, keep on hearing is uh, tuberculosis, is C. diff, is uh, MRSA, is SARS, and, uh, but it, it's the, the entire gamut of, of what they're concerned about because it's going to affect their, their bottom line. And apparently, and again, I'm not a healthcare expert, but things that I'm hearing them say is under some of the new proposed healthcare laws that there will be penalties to hospitals that have a higher rate of hospital-inquired infections than those that do not. And so they're starting to take it uh, even more seriously and looking at all avenues to reduce hospital-inquired infections. Let me get one more in here, Cliff. Um, as far as when you're done with the, the disinfection, you're done with the project, whether it be the result of an emergency response or an operations and maintenance or a patient has been you know, removed, left an area and they had a, a particularly problematic, um, you know, uh, infection of some type. What type of, I guess, verification does the hospital do? 
I'm sure it's kind of all over the place, but maybe you could give us a uh, an idea of what type of verification they do to ensure that the area is, you know, back to a, a condition where another patient can come in. Yeah, absolutely. They will uh, usually put in place, uh, when I say they, it could be that they have their own industrial hygienist on staff. It could be part of their infection control, uh, practitioner's office. Uh, control practitioner's office, it could be their safety office, or it could be a third-party certified industrial hygienist that they bring in to check for compliance. And they will usually put down some type of biological indicators uh, to make sure that if we're used, the the Steramist uh, product, that that got its proper coverage. And then they will also go in and and take uh, whatever their protocols call them to do, if it's to take uh, air samples, tape samples, and... uh, and put it put it through. We try to uh, really allow, allow that to be third party, independent, not us checking on us, but we want that third party or the hospitals themselves to uh, validate the results. You know, we'd love to get into more detail on that someday, and I'm I'm sure that maybe you could recommend a guest that uh, does quite a bit of the third party work to talk about that a little further, but. Let me turn it back over to Cliff now, and I'm sure he has a lot of other questions. Thanks a lot. Uh, Absolutely. Sam, would you advise that every commercial property has a disaster recovery plan? Uh, we, we do. And, and, and you know, what we, what we, the last thing you want to be doing is exchanging business cards at 2 o'clock in the morning or looking through a work authorization or through a set of uh, general conditions and be signing at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning or under a crisis situation. So we certainly recommend uh, to all of our clients and people that we come in contact with that they have a, uh, an agreement in place prior to an incident occurring so you prevent that uh, last-minute uh, crisis. It's one last thing you have to deal with with getting all your paperwork in order. Okay. Um, many restoration companies are beholding to insurance companies for work. Um, does Rowland get most of its work from insurance companies? Uh, we do not. We've gotten very few jobs over the years from the insurance companies. Um, now, recognizing that a lot of our work is not related to insurance, a lot of the healthcare work that we do is, is not insurance or other capital improvement projects that we do may not be insurance. But out of the our portion of work that isn't that is insurance related, where insurance is providing a mechanism of funding to the building owner, um, v- minimal comes from the insurance company. Our work comes from uh, rec- directly from the business owners, from the risk managers, um, from uh, public adjusters, from independent adjusters, from uh, recommendations by attorneys, and, and word of mouth. We, we actually belong to no insurance company uh, programs. You know, it seems that your work uh, involving everything from replacement of roofing and scaffolding, uh, you know, it seems that your guys, uh, whether they're workers or subcontractors, uh, are doing some pretty dangerous tasks. Uh, How's your OSHA compliance record and your workman's compensation record? I I recently saw an email that came from our... uh, insurance carrier uh, congratulating us on our reduction of, uh, of incidents. Uh, we have a uh, safety consultant that works across all of our offices. 
job locations, and market segments. And he is responsible uh, for compliance training, uh, current and upcoming uh, OSHA regulations, if there are any changes, as well as uh, he com- completely random jobs that he will go and inspect and uh, let us know what goes right to senior management, to the president of the company, uh, to myself, to our chief operating officer, to our HR department, of any uh, violations or slips that he would find uh, so we can take care of those uh, immediately. We take it uh, very, very seriously. We make sure that we have all of our uh, fall protection plans, our respiratory protection plans, that all those are in order. When all employees are hired, uh, they go through the uh, safety orientation. We make sure we have our our toolbox talks and that people are, you know, again, safety first. We do not want to get anyone hurt. So can I follow up on that real quick here? Sure. Sam, I'm I'm curious. I I go out and I do these courses for disaster restoration companies, and it's primarily mold remediation, but we talk about indoor environmental contracting quite a bit. And they're always in a, a quandary about asbestos, and asbestos inspections prior to renovation or demolition. I'm just curious, how do you handle that? Do you have companies on you know on call that you call in for inspections prior to these renovations, or do you have someone on your staff that handles that? Uh, we do we do not have uh, asbestos trained people on our staff. We do have the uh, the new lead requirements. We are lead certified, uh, but for the asbestos, again, we take that uh, very, very seriously. And just recently, and I don't mention, uh, I won't mention my clients' names, um, but I can certainly give uh, situations and examples of things that we've run into. But even recently, we had a a fire, and uh, due to the age of the building, we, uh, you know required a independent lab to come out and do some sampling for um, asbestos. And I even received an email from the owner saying, hey, we did other work on this property X amount of years ago. They didn't do this then. You know, isn't that good enough for you while you're doing this? And I said, "Eh, let's just double check. It's not that expensive. It's, you know, we we just want to make sure that we're fully compliant. And the results came back, and the results were hot. And, uh, you know, if we didn't take that extra step, um, it could have subjected uh, the, not only my own people, but the subcontractors and, and others to it, to an adverse condition, and we would like to prevent that if all possible. And it could have also ended up costing your company and the owners in fines and bad publicity from the EPA and or any local agencies. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Great. I'm glad you mentioned also it's not that expensive. You know, I mean, I, I try to bring that up regularly. It's It's not... Although the the one thing that people maybe maybe you can answer this for me I don't know you're I don't know how closely you're out there in the field on these projects but the one thing they bring up is that when they're on a water damage in particular you know if you got a ceiling that fell in it's got it's loaded with ceiling tile and they you know it, it's a tough, it's a quandary because you're not supposed to disturb any product any possible asbestos containing products but at the same time you're trying to prevent you know mold from occurring or additional damage from occurring by drying things out. Do you have any tips for our listeners on, on how to handle that situation? Well, you know, I, I was actually I was involved in a nightmare story of this just within the last year or two, and again, without mentioning any parts of the country or, or the, the name of the client, but it was exactly that. They had a sprinkler leak, um, and they 
person came in and said, oh, it looks like the ceiling's about to fall down. So they just pulled the ceiling down, and then the they, you know local drying contractor came in, and they were walking through the areas and had fans blowing. And then we found out that it was uh, ACM, asbestos-containing materials, and uh, it made a made that job increase uh, quite a bit in size. So, you know, you can certainly start your dehumidifiers. You can certainly put up some plastic and contain the areas. And, uh, but I would not, I just would not start fans uh, blowing in the wind if you think and having your people walk through these areas if you believe that there's ACM. Thank you, Sam. Cliff? Yeah, that's a, that's a real important point. Sam, on your website, your company website, you have an impressive list of licenses. You know, how do you get all these licenses? I mean, do you get them in advance? Who takes all the tests? Um, I've actually taken, uh, my brother Ron, who started the company, uh, took the exams for Maryland and D.C., and I have taken uh, the rest of them around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them give, some states will give reciprocity to others, um, and on certain sections they will, maybe on the business law they will, or maybe on the OSHA requirements, or on the technical, depends which building code they follow. Um, and I go state by state and taking the exams. Typically when we pick up a new client, and that client has uh, various offices and locations, um, we'll go and uh, verify for a license in that area. We may use a strategic partner to work with us or joint venture with us in that area if it's legal to do that. Some states allow that, some states don't. And we just have uh, slowly over the years been acquiring uh, the variety of, uh, of licenses. All right, well, Sam, please hang on. We're going to go to our halftime, and we'll be back with you in a couple of minutes. Our association sponsors are the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental and consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, for a restoration and abatement contractor shop. Visit them at johndon, J-O-N-D-O-N.com. And, of course, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfactswithanx.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. Okay, Sam, in today's economy, it's 
difficult, if not impossible, for businesses to obtain loans and financing. How do you finance these projects that you perform when you're really, really busy in, in a disaster situation? Um, fortunately, we've been able to uh, maintain our line of credit uh, with our bank and uh, maintain the ratios and stuff necessary to do so. And fortunately, between our president and our CFO uh, and the rest of the, our accounting department, they're able to fulfill uh, those requirements uh, to do such. But it can absolutely, uh, when a major regional disaster, whether it's a, a flood or a hurricane uh, hits, the uh, amount of cash flow that you can go through just in uh, mobilize, mobilization and getting set up, can be uh, rather expensive. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Okay. Um, can you provide some examples of the different types of property loss consulting services that Roland provides? Uh, absolutely. Um, we, we will provide uh, consulting services uh, just for estimating. Uh, oftentimes, uh, People will ask us to come in and consult on uh, whether or not a building is uh, dry or, or means and methods. But we have also found ourselves uh, quite often uh, being asked to be an expert in a whether it's a arbitration, an appraisal, a, a mediation, or actually court testimony. And uh, that seems we pro we get several offers or uh, requests a month uh, to do the same. And we have uh, recently even been a court-appointed umpire in uh, several matters in, in various states. And I, I think it's a, a good thing to do. I think you need to be uh, stay consistent uh, and use the, your industry practices, your best practices that you use, and bring that to the mediation, arbitration, appraisal that you are doing. And uh, it, it helps get your name out there can give you a very, very good name, but you need to be careful with it because if you slip or you start changing your stories, um, you lose credibility very, very fast. And I think what's most important is maintaining your credibility no matter who you work for. Joe? Yeah, just, I'd, I'd like to follow up on that. When you do the uh, expert witness, I, I do you get any mold? related cases do you see a lot of mold related cases where contractors have been blamed for let's say causing a mold problem or getting somebody sick from not cleaning up a mold problem i i, I don't get involved with uh, getting sick um but i i have gotten involved in uh, several instances where they're saying that the uh, contractor uh did not uh properly uh from uh, dry building, which then caused the mold to get out throughout the whole house or throughout the whole building. And then the argument comes to, I have testified about the means and methods and then the cost of doing the remediation once the mold is there. Um, you get called in a lot because certain insurance policies, and again, I'm not a licensed adjuster, but from what they tell me, some policies don't cover uh, the mold portion or have a limit of that, but they would... Uh, pay for the removal of wet drywall and drying the drywall, and then I get asked to differentiate uh, how much would it have uh, cost to using means and methods to get, dry the building out and get rid of the wet drywall, but exclude the remediation, and I get put into uh, quite a few situations like that over the years. Sounds like a tough situation. What about, I? you know, we've got six or eight different guidelines or standards for mold remediation is there one in particular that you 
hang your hat on or do you look at the job and, and based on the job or based on what the contractors said they were following, you just kind of ensure that they did what they were supposed to do based on that standard or guideline? Yeah, we well, we try to look at uh, each of the guidelines, look at what the protocol was, if there was a protocol written, and uh, see what guidelines they they wrote in. A lot of times, it's just it's common sense and best practices. As you know, there's a couple of states that license mold or have mold licenses now. There's one or two more that that have it like, where it's being introduced. So I think over the years, um, if that continues, hopefully it'll become more of a standard, um, but I think uh, a blend, if you would, of the various uh, protocols and the best practices that are out there is probably what we look at. Just real quick, do you, are you a fan of licensing for mold remediation contractors or not? I am a fan of it. Okay. Thanks, Cliff. Okay. Sam, uh, a lot of insurance companies um, insist that Xactimate pricing be utilized. Um, where does Roland stand on using Xactimate for pricing, or have you created your own pricing information? Well, we use Xactimate as an estimating tool, and we think it's a very, very useful tool. But due to uh, individual site conditions and burdens that may be specific to that site, uh, we will adjust those prices. And in uh, and in addition, there may be certain materials and others that Xactimate uh, doesn't have in, and then of course we'll manually put something in, uh, put a price and a description in. Uh, probably the best example I can give is you can go to a certain town or a certain city that has a uh, a commercial or office area, and five or six blocks away you can have a residential home. And installing a piece of crown molding or a piece of drywall in those two areas, your burden would be quite different. Uh, getting that uh, 4x12 sheet of drywall, that 4x8 sheet of drywall, up into the high-rise building, to, and you're only doing 10 boards, let's say, uh, you could have challenges with the loading dock, with the elevator, when you can work and when you can't work. But yet, five blocks away, I can uh, drive my truck right into the residential driveway and have the drywall stocked and in that house and ready to be put up in two minutes. And based upon those burdens, we'll adjust our prices or add additional components uh, to more accurately reflect what our experience tells us and what the market conditions are and the burden. So for us, we use Xactimate as a tool, but it's a rolling estimate, not an Xactimate estimate. You know, one of the things I found on your website that really surprised me was the fact that with your clients at the beginning of every year, you publish uh, a price list. Isn't that risky in these uncertain times? Um, we're willing to, the, the price list which is published is for our emergency services, and it's with our clients that have our priority service agreement, and we're, and we're willing to take that risk. Um, our clients that are willing to, to uh, stand by us and use us for job after job, uh, we're willing to take that risk with, with our clients. Joe? Sam, are there any particular projects that kind of stand out in your mind that you could talk to our listeners about? I know you don't like to mention clients' names, but maybe there's some project that stands out that, maybe would uh, be a good example for our client or for our listeners and, and maybe help them 
get a tip or learn something from your experience? Sure. Um, and again, I, I can certainly do this without mentioning names. Uh, we had a, uh, a project within the last few years that had a, it was a high-rise office building that was under construction. The, uh, the shell was uh, pr- substantially complete, maybe not by legal definition, but they were very far along uh, with the project, and the, uh, they were getting ready uh, for the different tenants to do their core fit-outs, their fit-outs. And a fire occurred and involving some of the construction shanties on the lower levels, and the smoke and soot of the byproducts of the fire went through the entire building, and uh, smoked up the uh, the monocoat, which held a uh, unbelievable odor, and it would have been a a large cost and and quite a bit of time and a lot of mess to scrape the monocoat, which is the fireproofing, gives an increased fire rating to the steel <laughs> off all all the steel decking and columns. It uh, had to be done on a couple of floors where the monocoat. Uh, dehydrated and lost its bond but on the rest of the floors uh it was able to be uh remediated and uh we did that by using uh ultraviolet ozone uh, a couple contractors were uh interviewed for the project and uh, we were awarded the project um and we used the ultraviolet ozone and uh, both the insurance company as well as the insured had uh, certified industrial hygienists. Uh, they were microbiologists, both of them are doctors, and were able to show that the uh, that using the uh, ozone in, uh, was able to uh, remove the odor. Uh, they actually, one of them went into further detail with me and said how the ozone actually changed the uh, carbon molecules, and it was a a very very uh, successful project. Um, and the, you know, we cleared all, had 10 zones that we set up per floor. Each zone was uh, cleared on its own. Um, there was a very, very strict standard for how much, uh, carbon could be left. Um, after we were done with each floor, I think we had to repeat one area, one zone once. And, uh, a very, very successful technical project that, uh, that our company was uh, very, very proud to participate in. Was it? Did you use any other source removal technique? I assume you also cleaned up, you know, the best you could prior to using the ozone. But I wonder if you could describe any other activities you used to assist with getting rid of that odor. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we did a uh, top-down HEPAVAC um, after the top. We did a gross clean, then a top-down HEPAVAC for each floor. Then we uh, ozoned. Then there was a uh, product that was put on on top of the monocoat uh, that would then bond to the monocoat. And then on top of that, an encapsulant uh, was used. And then uh, after the encapsulant was uh, was sprayed, uh, the floor was ozoned uh, one more time. Okay. Just wanted to make sure that people didn't think you could get a, not do some source removal as well there, Sam. Yeah, I'm not aware of uh, any protocol, you know, whether you're using an ozone, hydroxyl radical, um, or any other reactive oxygen species, or any type of sealant or encapsulant where you wouldn't do uh, source removal first. Sam, are you an adrenaline junkie? You know, what in your education and or personal life prepared you to handle a business 
the size and the scope of Rollin? I'm absolutely an adrenaline junkie, and when I go away on vacation for my, with my wife or kids, I think after about three or four days of being away from uh, email, I, I start to have withdrawals, what they tell me. Um, as I was uh, getting into college, I got involved with the uh, fire and rescue department, both in a volunteer position and in a career position, and worked my way up to become a, uh, a chief officer and was certified in, in lots of officership and training and re uh, incident command and responding during uh, adverse conditions. And I think that's where the bug, the adrenaline bug hit me. Um, I, I love action. I hate drama. And I, I, I just find the energy when certain situations arise, whether it's a a, a single building or if we're having a local or regional catastrophe to uh, be involved in the uh, coordination response and, and being able to help. I've got a follow-up. Do you ever get scared of the magnitude, difficulty, or the financial risk of a project? Uh, boy, do I ever get scared. Uh, I think you, uh, I don't know if scared is the right word. I think we, we, we certainly, uh, are cautious in uh, some of the jobs that uh, we, we have to take. Uh, I, I have a great team around me uh, through the different uh, associations that we belong to, especially within the Restoration Industry Association. We're able to uh, find other people's other uh, great vendors to come in and assist us on projects. I know that I don't live on an island, and uh, I'm, I'm not shy to uh, call for help. Uh, Cliff, I think the first time I met you, I, I was calling for help. Right, right. Thank you. Sam, you, you mentioned the Restoration Industry Association. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, you're first vice president of the association now, and I do they have a succession where you will become president, or is that something that's okay. still to be determined? No, that's absolutely to be determined. That would uh, require a. Uh, a vote of first the uh, general membership to vote me in again as a director, and then uh, for the board members themselves uh, that then vote amongst the directors to uh, appoint the officers. So that will be up to the, uh, to the to the membership and then to the directors. And can you tell listeners, you know, about the Restoration Industry Association? Any any upcoming things that you can let us know? I I know we didn't talk about this before the show, but. Uh, Maybe even if you just want to tell people about what being part of the association has been, you know, has meant to you, and uh, and or if you have anything you can announce and let us know that's coming about, please do. Well, the uh, the Restoration uh, Industry Association, formerly known as uh, the uh, Association of Cleaners and Restoration Specialists (ASCAR), uh, has made a tremendous difference uh, for me personally as uh, well as uh, for Roland companies. Uh, it, it was an avenue for me to go and uh, meet other people, to be able to sit around the uh, coffee table in between the different breaks or during the trade show and uh, talk with people that are going through the same situations and the same problems and the same difficulties we are, whether it's uh, on the business side or whether it's on the operation side. And it was great to know that I'm not, you know, that you're not, uh, the only pee in the pod, and that there are other people under having the same situations and same circumstances that you are, and able to talk about uh, 
solutions. I, I found the, uh, the education, the seminars to be fantastic, and then being able to walk through the annual convention and having uh, scores of uh, vendors uh, there showing you their products and uh, discussing uh, the most latest and upcoming technology has been phenomenal for us. And then, as I said before, strategic partners. Uh, we don't live on an island. We can't do it by ourselves. And I've been able to meet some fantastic companies that we've been able to work with and have them work jointly with us or, or actually if we're, um, they can get a job started for us if it's a client that's uh, quite, quite a distance from one of our offices. And I feel comfortable that if they're a member of RIA, that they're delivering a, a standard of service that would fit in well with what we provide for our clients. I think going just a little bit more about RIA, I think one of the things about the association is that it's, I think a lot of the people are pretty tightly knit. And, you know, one of the things about it is there are a lot of business in that association that occurs really on a handshake and, and on a referral. And, um, you know, I, I know that Sam and his company have an excellent reputation with members within that organization. I know I've referred people to Sam and, uh, he's always treated them well, and uh, that's important because that doesn't always happen uh, in business. So I, I personally have a lot of respect for for him and, and his organization. If I wanted to obtain a job with Roland to, to go to work for the company or be a subcontractor, how would I get your attention, Sam? Well, first of all, uh, uh, my, my HR department is going to love this because we are uh, – in, in a hiring mode, I believe, I don't know the exact count, but I believe we are trying to uh, expand and hire somewhere around two dozen uh, additional uh, team members. And I, on our website, they should be able to uh, find a link for our HR department. And we certainly need uh, estimators, project managers, job supervisors, and technicians. Um, for strategic partners, subcontractors, and vendors, we also on our website, we, we have a, a place where they can go and uh, start a communication um, and go through the make sure that we have the insurance requirements that are uh, necessary and uh, get, get all of the, we attempt, if at all possible, to pre-screen all vendors and subcontractors to make sure that when an incident occurs, just as we don't want to be handing a contract uh, to a client at 2 o'clock in the morning. We really don't want to be signing a contract-to-subcontract agreement at 2 o'clock in the morning. So we have a, uh, a subcontract agreement that we like to get signed up front, and then when we uh, have a project to put you on, all we're doing is specifying that project per the terms of the contract-subcontractor agreement that was already in place. Joe, go to Roundup, or you have something you'd like to do I first? I think it's probably a good idea to go to Roundup. Might want to say hi to Pete. Yeah, we'll, we'll bring Pete on. We'll go to the Roundup as well. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up. Move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw hide. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Good afternoon, Pete. Hey, guys. How you doing? Sam? 
Hey, Pete, good. how are you, sir? Good. I uh, Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to call in right at 12 like I wanted to. I had my conference call ran over, but I, I've been on, on for about a half hour, just right around the, uh, just before the, the halftime break, and uh, very interesting conversation. Uh, hope the, the listeners of the program get some benefit out of it. Um, the one thing I guess to follow up Joe on the REA question, the only thing that we actually have planned this year, which is kind of new, given an opportunity to talk about, is the uh, newest division in the association is the Contents Council, which just got started a few months back, and they got right to work and they have a specialty event called Strictly Contents, which will um, uh, it's there's a little bit of information on the website, but the brochure is being developed now, and it's going to be a two-day program in September uh, in Chicago. The Chicago Conservatory is going to have a special little tour there, and um, it's going to kind of be more of an intimate setting, uh, you know, not a big uh, dog and pony convention type deal, but more more like a specialty shop right around the content specialty area. So that's something new and exciting, and people may want to check that out if they're interested in that area. Great. Thanks. Thank you, Pete. Always uh, always great to have the watchdog, Pete Consigli, join us and say hello. Cliff, do you want me to uh, do one now? Or sure. Do you Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. Okay. I'll finish I, I, I want to follow up, if you would, Sam, on, on the hydroxyl generators. That's been a hot topic of discussion on some of the chat rooms, and there's been a lot of, uh, oh, I don't know, a lot of marketing discussion about the, the capabilities. I just want to get a feel for your, your real-world experience in using them. As you mentioned, you use them. Um, are you using them? On a regular basis, uh, what what kind of experience have you had, and uh, has it been good, bad, and different? Boy, this could be an hour discussion by itself. Yes, we yeah, do use. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, in a nutshell, yes, we do use hydroxyl radicals. Um, we've had quite a bit of success. We do use them on a, uh, especially recently, in a regular basis. Uh, we use the uh, the Tomi system, uh, the Tomi environmental system. Uh, and that is used when we have a uh, a mold that we need to uh, kill, and we need to kill it quickly and to a uh, high-efficacy uh, standard. Uh, we absolutely uh, use that. And we also use the uh, – and with that, you have a solution that goes in it, and you have to be wearing the, uh, the proper PPE and following all NIOSH and OSHA guidelines, of course. And then we also use um, one that puts off a uh, hydroxyl radical that puts off a uh, a gas, a much lower level of uh, of hydroxyl radicals, not using a solution, but just using the moisture in the air. And we've been successful using that product, um, reducing uh, reducing odors, just as we have with uh, ozone O uh, three and uh, reducing odors. So. To me, uh, all three reactive oxygen species generating the uh, the solution hydroxyl radical using uh, just the air hydroxyl radical as well as the ultraviolet uh, ozone are all three very useful tools that go into the kit, but they're a tool in the kit. It's not the answer for everything. Great. Thank you, Sam. We appreciate that. Cliff? Sam, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened uh, you know, to you while you've been in this business, anything come to mind? Well, what, one of the funniest things, and it didn't happen to me, and it happened to this uh, poor homeowner. But every time I think about it, it brings a smile to my face, and and that that is that he was uh, trying to uh, smoke out some uh, bees or hornets or wasps from a nest 
um, that was uh, in a bush in front of his house. He uh, created a, a fire which literally destroyed about 50 or 60 percent of his house. Um, did not wipe out the bees and or the wasps, and they all came in uh, and stung him. And uh, <laughs> every time I think about that, it, it, it's just absolutely hysterical. <laughs> all right. Well, before I go, I want to thank today's guest, Sam Bergman, my co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, uh, Pete Consigli, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil, and Austin Stone Cold Novak, but most importantly, you, our growing group of loyal listeners. If you like the show, please be sure to tell your friends. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for our 205th episode of IEQ Radio. IAQ Radio Production. Call recording has been completed.